millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Today I am super excited to have one of my oldest friends. She's not old, but we've known each other. (laughs) We've known each other since primary school. She's my good friend, Lyndall. She's really brave. She's going to share her story with us today. And thank you, Lyndall, for coming in and, and for being so brave and sharing this story, which is a really important one. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and share my story. I was thinking the other day about... The first time you got drunk was at my house. Yes, it was. <laughs> and were we, what, 12? Yeah, 13? something like that. Yeah. We were dancing around in your lounge room and and then I got really drunk and, and spewed everywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> when we started drinking, we were 13. I know that we were 13. That's just what we did. We're from the country. We grew up in Castlemaine in central Victoria in Australia. That's what we did, wasn't it? Like we just got smashed every weekend and we always managed to find alcohol. Just started this lifetime of binge drinking and we didn't know any different because that's just what we did, right? Yeah, it was sort of like just the thing to do, you know, like I imagine other small country towns are the same, but there just wasn't really much to do on the weekend and that was what we did. Yeah, we managed to either find someone in the street to go into the liquor store for us or we had older siblings who could buy us booze and Mm. we would just either sit in like in a dark oval and drink or in the park or we'd go to a friend's like house party there was always some there was always a means in a way of every weekend drinking and and I don't know what our parents thought we were doing yeah (laughs) (laughs) they were great little liars what little bitches 
Totally. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, poor parents. I'm I'm sure we always had really elaborate stories as to what we were actually doing. Yeah, well once Yeah, remember, really we were just getting drunk and in the down the oval. Lyndall basically left our town and she yep. went on and she's basically I'm telling the audience here, you're one of those people that you get a job and you end up running the place. <laughs> and you've always been somewhat of a I guess we looked at you as being this kind of high flyer and she you when you went and moved to New York and you were living in New York and it was like wow Lyndall's living this amazing life over there and running this business over there and doing amazing things and I went even and I went over and stayed with you and we sure we partied that's just what we did I never thought for a minute like the day that you called me and said I've got to tell you something I've got a real serious problem yeah. And also you're, you've never been one to really just be so open and, and share like that. So that was a shock. Then when you told me that you had to go into AA, whoa, I, we, yeah. I had no idea and how you can know someone so well or think you know someone and that was going on. I think, Oh, for one, I'm, you know, I wished I had known you were suffering like that. And two, yeah, I just, yeah. how did you get there to that point? From binging yes. every weekend to where you got, where you felt you needed to go to AA. Yeah, so it's a, it's very much a progressive thing that progressed over, you know, like twenty five to thirty years. You know, it started out obviously like we talked about before. You know, in our early teens, getting drunk on the weekends. I think by the time through most of my twenties, I would say that I was drinking most days. Like absolutely, I was drinking every weekend, but I I would drink you know, a lot of days during the week as well, like come home from work and have, you know, some beers or whatever after work. Not necessarily every day, but probably most days. Mm -hmm. And And was that getting drunk at night or just having a couple? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've pretty much been a a blackout drinker from the start. You know, I remember even Mm. in my teens, like drinking to blackout. Like I was always... I just absolutely loved alcohol right from the start. I loved the effect. I loved the loss of control. I loved the silliness. I just loved everything about it. Mm. And I would just drink and drink and drink until I couldn't, I either passed out or I threw up or what, you know, like Mm. I just, there was no, there was never any, any kind of point where I went, oh, I think maybe I've had enough. Like I just was never that Mm. person. I just was, I would drink as much as I could until I, until I blacked out. Probably through the 20s was drinking most days, drinking to get drunk. Like mm. I've never been that kind of person that can just have a couple of a couple of glasses of wine and leave it at that. Mm. I think into my 30s then it progressed. It was definitely, you know, daily drinking, definitely a lot heavier. I mean, the thing with alcohol is you, your tolerance builds over time and you, and you drink more, you know. Like mm. I certainly drink the same in my late thirties as I did in my early twenties, you know, you drank, I drank a lot more. It was a lot more frequent. It was every day. And, and then, you know, progressed over time into, I can't even say exactly how many years, but last several years of my drinking was a lot of like drinking around the clock, drinking from the minute I woke up in the morning, drinking throughout the day at work um, and drinking to drinking hard. And, and again, drinking to blackout wow. uh, every night. Babe, so um, full on. How did you get, how do you end up at that point? I've never been able to back it up. Very rarely can I back it up, you know, the next day. How do you get there where you waking up in the morning and, and 
going for a drink? It's really hard to pinpoint exactly when that started, you know. Mm. And I, I remember when I was having some counselling with a drug and alcohol cancer and she kind of said, I just don't understand how I've got to this point. Like, I don't understand how I've got to this point of drinking around the clock. And she said, she used the analogy of like, she was like, do you ever take a drive somewhere and you get to your destination and you think, oh, shit, I don't actually remember that drive. She said, it's kind of like that, like, and it, because it's such a progressive thing mm. and it happens over a long period of time, over years and years, then, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell you when it started. I couldn't, I really honestly couldn't. I just, I just know that's where I ended up. Yeah, that is, that's really full. I think you did say to me once that you realise that if you were hungover and you drank the next day, you'd feel a bit more not so sick. Yeah, so actually that, and sorry, that was to answer your previous question about you were saying that you could never back it up. Like I mm. actually was a little bit the opposite in that respect. I, from even in my early 20s, I would say, I worked out that, yeah, if I was feeling, you know, hungover and feeling a bit edgy and, and a bit, you know, broken the next day, I'd have a couple of beers and that would just kind of really sort me out. So I think that definitely was a big factor in in you know leading to that daily drinking and and drinking all the time because it was over time you know by the end of my drinking because I was so dependent on the alcohol the drinking the next day or drinking in the morning was more to stop the hangover setting in or to stop the withdrawal effects from coming on so wow and what were they what were the withdrawal effects yeah, so I've actually been um, hospitalised twice for uh, alcohol withdrawal because yeah. um, it can actually be really quite dangerous. So um, for me, the withdrawal effects were kind of like if you imagine like your worst ever hangover, you know, like you got the shakes and the sweats and all that sort of thing. But for me, it was like I'd get pins and needles in my arms, really um, like pains in my chest. Um, oh, really? Yeah, pains in my chest, um, my vision would go blurry, like my legs would get really heavy, like I felt like I couldn't walk properly. Wow. Um, Real shortness of breath, like my heart as well would just be like, I could feel it just kind of like banging around in my chest, you know, like really regular heartbeat as well. Is that normal? Um, Like it sounds like a panic attack or something, but it's not, right? It's an actual... Yeah, no, it's that was the effect, the withdrawal effect, or that's what it does to me. I mean, in other cases... Um, you know, people can have alcoholic seizures. I, that I never, I've never had a seizure. Think, thankfully, mm, but um, mm. but yeah, all of those other effects in it, and um, it can be quite dangerous, which is why I've ended up being hospitalised twice um, to treat it because you you need to be weaned off it. And how do you know that you need to go to hospital? Like how? Well, the first time it was mostly because of the pains in my chest. Like I was getting these strong pains in my chest. I didn't really know. I didn't really understand. I I, I sort of figured it probably had something to do with the drinking because I was, at that point, I was drinking around the clock and I was, you know, drinking throughout the day and that sort of stuff. And I'd been drinking really, really heavily for like a good few months, like two or three months. And I just noticed these pains in my chest every day were getting like stronger and stronger. And so I went to just like a walk-in clinic just to be like, I don't think I need to get these pains in my chest sorted out. And as they sort of asked me all the questions and I told them, you know, what I've been drinking and whatever they, they, the doctor advised me that it was to do with withdrawing from the alcohol and so she said we can't treat you for that here you need to go to hospital Um, yeah wow and did anyone know 
your mum or your mum? No, no, none of my family knew about that. And in fact, the whole time I was still living in America, they didn't even know. I mean, my mum's always been on my case about drinking too much. But no, she had no, there was none of them knew anything about going to hospital. And in fact, most of, even most of my friends in America didn't know about that. My best friend in America, he knew. That was about it. Like, I didn't tell people. Wow. And, you know, like you said at the start about how you didn't know that all of this was going on and that, and a lot of my friends have said the same thing and I did that deliberately, you know, like I didn't tell people. Mm. I knew it was so bad at the end and I knew I needed help and I knew, you know, I knew that I was in trouble but it was really difficult for me to admit even to myself, never mind to other people and it was really difficult for me to try and ask for help. Saying it out loud and saying it, you know, to other people and asking for help was, that made it real. Yeah, and then it's like, yeah. I actually have to do something about this. Yeah. Wow. Whereas a, when I didn't tell anybody else, I could still keep deluding myself too, you know. I could mm. still keep trying to convince myself that it wasn't as bad as it was. Yeah. So after that first stint in hospital, we went there thinking, okay, I'm going to give this up. Yeah, so that was... a. Uh, uh, that was a real kick up the ass, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was pretty shocked and um, it was quite confronting. And, yeah, I, I walked out of that hospital. I stayed in overnight and I walked out of the hospital the next day, had all this resolve to to do something about it and to, you know, improve my situation. And I, I think I after that I didn't drink for... I think it was maybe about five or six weeks. I don't remember exactly. But it, that was just trying to do it myself and just trying to not drink. And it was a struggle. Like, that was kind of really white-knuckling it every day, you know? Yeah. Like, just... That because was... this is different level, say, I've been through in the previous guest. It's a different level where you need to step into what you did. So what got you to the AA meetings? Yeah, the program has been really amazing for me. Um, and it, and I, I guess I... I had just tried so many other things, you know, like I, I probably, if I could be honest now, which I can in sobriety, if mm. I can be honest with myself, I think I knew probably for about the last 10 years of my drinking that it was a problem. And, yeah. uh, and of course, over those 10 years, it, it still continued to get progressively worse. Yeah. But yeah, I tried all sorts of things in that time. I tried to moderate my drinks. I tried to, you know, like... Mm have alcohol free days I tried to have weeks off I tried to change my drinks I tried to only drink at home I tried to not drink at home I, you know like all of these different of them, um, yeah you know methods and none of it worked in America they even have moderation management meetings <laughs> which is like a you know group meeting platform as well that didn't work to be honest Alcoholics Anonymous was the last resort for me like I felt pretty ashamed to be in that position that I, you know, there's, there's a lot of shame and stigma around it. And I just, I couldn't believe that I'm like a young girl in my, you know, early, late 30s, early 40s going to Alcoholics Anonymous. So it was sort of like the last card in the deck for me, yeah. to be honest. Um, but I went there because I just didn't really know what else to do. It's even taken a while. Like I'm, I'm 17 months sober now, but I attended my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous probably about four or five years ago. It's taken a long time to get to this point because really I didn't want to actually give up drinking when I first went to AA. I just wanted to stop all the madness. You know, like yeah. I wanted to just get back to being able to drink like a normal person. But it sounded you know, like you never did. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> 
but this is a part of the delusion of the, of alcoholism, you know, like I just, I was deluding myself. Like I just, yeah. I wanted all the madness to stop the chaos. Yeah. It was chaotic, insane, you know, like I knew that waking up in the morning and having to have two shots of vodka just to be able to lift my head off the pillow in the morning. I knew that was insane. I knew that drinking throughout the day at work was insane. I knew that it was all insanity and it was madness. And I just, I wanted all of that to stop. And I just wanted to be able to enjoy drinking again, because that was the other thing. At the end, it wasn't enjoyable anymore. No. I didn't enjoy it. For the last, especially the last couple of years of my drinking, I didn't, it was like a real love-hate relationship. You know, I still loved the effect of alcohol, but I hated what it was doing to me. And I, but I just wanted all that to go away. I didn't really want to give up drinking. So that's why I kind of bounced in and out of the program a bit for a few years. And even when I got a little bit more serious with it a couple of years ago after I moved back here to Australia, still had a couple of relapses. And it was just still me thinking that I can control this mm. problem. Mm. I was there for, I witnessed one of those. I was maybe, I was probably a year and a half sober myself. I've honestly never seen anything like it. Like when you, you know, you were honest, you said, I've started drinking again. I'm like, what? Yeah. No. Those few days, just like you locked in your house and, we, you know, like your feet blew up and yeah. it was terrifying. I thought we we're going to lose you at one point. And who um, oh, is that crying? <laughs> um, <laughs> thank God you, you pulled yourself out of that. That's what I have to um, keep reminding myself of every single day. Like I know now that I can't ever go back to that because you you saw firsthand what it was like mm. when I drank. Due to the progressive nature of alcoholism, it just it doesn't stop. Even if you're not actually physically consuming alcohol, the progressive it still progresses. So I could have 20 years of not drinking, and if I go back to drinking, it's going to be even worse than what it was <laughs> before. Like that's how that's how the illness progresses. And so I need to make sure that I just, um, I stay really vigilant and work my program and use the, the fellowship to help me as well. Mm-mm. Um, it's such a huge part of my life. It's my sobriety is like, has to be my number one priority for me. It's so amazing. You've done now. such an amazing job. I'm so proud of you. It's just, <laughs> Thanks babe. It's, you lost the job in New York because of the drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And at work, I mean, how were you? Obviously, there came a point where they jerried. How were you functioning, like running this company over there and all those people? How did yeah. you do that? And how did you keep drinking throughout the day? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I was so terrified of getting, of, of sobering up and of the hangover and the withdrawal setting in. I would drink throughout the day and it was kind of like all of the ways this like little bit of a balancing act, just trying to maintain a certain level of toxicity throughout the day so that I didn't sober up and go into withdrawal but hopefully not too much so that I appeared outwardly drunk Mm. to people at work which was just a constant battle all the time and I'm pretty sure a lot of the time I didn't do it very well like I think I in my head I thought that I was like doing a good job of appearing sober but I probably really wasn't (laughs) oh like when I bring people like doing these like drink and dial things and like trying to act sober on the phone (laughs) whoever the poor person was that had to put up with my junk dial like you guy you smashed last night like what totally oh I had a couple what (laughs) How, I so mean, that's a struggle in itself, trying to maintain that level. 
Wow. Uh, it was honestly, it was exhausting. By the end, I I was completely trapped and completely imprisoned by alcohol, and it was absolutely exhausting because it was like it was constant. Like from the minute I woke up in the morning, I had to think about you know, have I got any alcohol left? What time does the liquor store open? When can I have my next drink? How much? How long has it been since my last drink? How am I going to disguise my drinks today? You know, like at the end of the day, making sure, have I got enough alcohol to get through the night? You know, what time? If I was planning to go anywhere, you know, uh, it had to all be planned around alcohol. And I used this analogy in a meeting recently, and it's probably a really bad analogy. But, you know, like I imagine, uh, I don't have kids, but I imagine, you know, people with kids, like when you've got a little baby, you have to plan everything around the baby. You have to make sure you've got enough nappies and, you know, you have to plan around feed times and meal times and nap times and all this sort of stuff. And it kind of, that's how it felt like for me. Like I, I had this attachment that were, that consumed all of my day that I had to plan around. And I would deliberately like not accept social invitations if I knew that I couldn't get drunk. Like I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go anywhere. I mean, uh, uh, most of the time I'd, by the end of my drinking, I'd, I would isolate a lot as well. Like I'd much prefer to be at home and kind of close the curtains and just drink as much as I could and drink to blackout without anybody around me, you know, judging or mm. saying anything about it. Like I'd much rather do that than go out with friends. Like I was isolating a lot, but I mean, I still would go out with friends, but only if I knew that we were going to be able to drink a lot. And of course, I surrounded myself with people who did drink a lot as well. Mm. but yeah I mean just that constant like having to think all the time all day every day about it just it was exhausting one of the best gifts I have in sobriety is just being free of all of that and not having to think about that and not having to just constantly think about oh my god where am I going to get my next drink from and how am I going to disguise it and did I just laugh a little bit too loud at work are they going to know that I'm drunk can people smell alcohol on me you know like it just it was it was a mind fucked <laughs> it would have been terrible so obviously they cottoned on in the end I think I was on the radar for a while because I was having a, you know I was coming to work late having a lot of days off work because I would stay home and drink and always coming into work late I, I didn't necessarily have any formal warnings like I got a couple of like I didn't have any written warnings but I had a couple of talkings too you know I mean that in itself was really embarrassing and humiliating too like I just you know I've always been really quite ambitious and really you know prided myself on being a good employee and doing well and you know Mm. I didn't want to be fucking up at work but oh and that was part of the exhaustion in my head as well it's like every day I'd think all right just don't you know you're coming to work late Lindell this morning because you didn't wake up till 11 o'clock because you got so drunk last night you're you know you feel like shit you feel terrible about yourself and you're feeling really bad and guilty and then I'd be like all right so don't do it again today Lindell just have a day off drinking just don't do it and then you know, then the shakes would start to come on or, you know, starting to feel a bit shit and I'd be like, and so then I'd go next door. We, the, our office in New York actually shared a wall with an Irish pub. So oh, I'd go next yeah, And there was a bottle, stop, a bottle store right across the road. So, yeah, I'd go into the pub and have a pint of beer and I'd be like, I'll just have this just to settle the shakes and then that'll be it. But, of course, I have that one drink and then that sets me off and... 
by three or four o'clock on in the afternoon I'm drunk and then by the time work's finished then it's game on and I get wasted again and then it just then it repeats the cycle but yeah sorry I got a little bit off track there but to, yeah the at work they were sort of cottoning on and I'd had a couple of talkings too because I had a lot of time off work and a lot of coming in late in the end you know there was a lot of customers starting to complain about me as well because I was taking too long to get back to people and making errors and I was in a um, just a, t- a temporary position over in California and one of my girlfriends she's actually my friend she's one of the first people that I met when I moved to America she was my area leader at the time and she had to fire me and it was oh. horrible oh. It was she yeah. cried I cried I felt so bad that she had to do that she felt terrible doing it but I would have done the exact same thing you know like yeah. I I I knew why she was doing it and quite frankly I was actually I kind of judged them a little bit for not firing me a bit sooner to be honest (laughs) (laughs) yeah um wow that's hard yeah it was horrible I guess that's pretty low like that's about that's getting pretty for you especially I mean um a lot of people hearing this don't know your personality but like I said you've always been the high flyer but (laughs) physically as well like that must have been taking a huge toll on you have you had your liver checked just wondering I have yes yeah and how is that (laughs) it's okay surprisingly it's okay but yeah um at the time or there have been a couple of times that there have been health um issues going on definitely but even aside from what who's your husband (laughs) even aside from what I mentioned before about the the withdrawal effects there's yeah there was some other stuff going on and I don't know if it's like really too graphic for this podcast you might edit it out but at one stage my wee was like orange like almost wow. red and it was like syrupy because it was like I just was drinking that much that wow. it, yeah my liver couldn't process it was that kid like would be like a kidney thing or kidneys like, yeah whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah there were some I mean, you must have been terrified were you scared like were you thinking fuck I'm I, I would have been terrified were you or I wasn't so concerned about that's that health stuff happening to be honest like at the end of my drinking I was so dependent and I also not only was I so dependent but I was so terrified that if I gave up drinking my life would be horrible. I just thought I'm going to be so boring and miserable and people won't want to hang out with me and I won't be able to go anywhere. I won't be able to do anything. I won't be able to go to gigs or to do, you know, go places. I won't be able to go traveling because I always associated traveling with, you know, being in an airport bar and drinking on the plane and, you know, like I was like, I just won't be able to do anything and I'm going to hate my life and it's going to be horrible and I was so convinced that that was how it would be if I gave up drinking. And so I kind of, like, it was almost like I just would rather, I, I kind of almost resigned myself to the fact that I'd probably end up drinking myself to death because I didn't know, I, I just couldn't stop it. And I kind of almost was, would have rather that than live sober. Like that, that wow. was the point that I was at. Alcohol just had such a, a struggle hold on me and I you know I I can see now like I can look back on that now and and see that that was just my alcoholic brain just convincing me to have another drink you know I really didn't know how to stop it and I figured it would probably just end up killing me 
and I kind of just, I don't, I wouldn't say that I was okay with it, but I kind of just sort of accepted, yeah, this is how it's going to be. From the moment you told me that, you know, you had a real problem and that you were joining AA, I've just found you to be just so beautiful and open and, and real and everything's more real where before you were so guarded. And I realize now that was you kind of hiding a lot, yeah. you know, and, um, I just, and I, well, I find you fascinating because the story is fascinating. <laughs> I could never be bored of you. <laughs> but, Likewise, um, babe. <laughs> you're never, ever boring, never a dull moment. Um, but how has life changed anyway? Like, you know, obviously, you know, you're in a great relationship, new job. You look yeah, great. well, I can't, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Okay, yeah, well, my life has done a complete, a complete 180, you know, like at the end of my drinking, I was very um, depressed, I was miserable, I lived with a lot of fear and resentments, you know, I was carrying around resentments with me from stuff that happened to me in childhood, you know, like I was very angry, I was just you know, like I said, isolated from my friends, wasn't, there was no way to live. I wasn't enjoying my life. Um, and alcohol was, had me imprisoned and, um, you know, in, in sobriety. And I mean, mind you, getting sober, I was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it's absolutely 100% without a doubt, the best thing I've done. Like Mm. my life has completely changed. I've through the help of the program and the fellowship, I've, you know, worked through a lot of those, you know, the resentments and the fears. And I, um, you know, I I do really cool stuff these days. Like I practice gratitude, which is something that I, you know, I know you love that too. (laughs) It's something that is just so simple, so simple to look at the things that you're grateful for. And it's just something that so many people don't do. And like every night I pray and I, and a part of my evening prayer is, is doing my gratitude list and it just helps me recognize all the wonderful things, you know, that I live with. And I, you know, I've learned to forgive people for stuff that they've done a long time ago and I've learned to love again and I've learned to, and I'm probably sound like I'm doing a bit of, you know, a bit of an eat, pray, love kind of. Oh no, I love it. (laughs) You know, I live for this shit. (laughs) But, you know, this is all really, really cool stuff that helps me to be happy and helps me to look forward to every day that is stuff that I just didn't have, you know. I I, I don't even think I used the word gratitude ever in my life (laughs) before I got sober. I've got a really good job back, you know, like nearly three years ago I was fired from a job that I had, you know, a company that I'd been with for 12 years and a job that I loved. And, yeah, in three years I've, I've gotten sober. I've got a really cool job back now I've just started a new business I'm in love and in a committed relationship for the first time in 10 uh, about 10 years I was single for a long long time yeah I'm in love and in a committed relationship and you know I just like all of that fear that I had around not being able to enjoy my life I've just realized now again it was just my alcoholic brain convincing me to have another drink like it's such bullshit Mm. you know I have so much more fun now uh, you know, I've talked about it, you know, like you can, I still go out to gigs. Well, when we're allowed to pre COVID, of course. <laughs> uh, now I do them in my lounge room with Ash Greenwald, which is really fun. <laughs> oh, no other way to go, mate. 
but you know, like I can still go out to gigs and go out and, and have nights out and I can still go traveling. I went to Europe with my mum last year for um, three weeks and I, you know, I can still do all of these things that I loved doing before. It's just that I actually, I'm not spending all the time getting drunk, you know, mm. like previously if I went to a gig, I'd be wasted halfway through the gig and then wouldn't remember the end of the night. Now I go to a gig and I can remember it all and I can, mm enjoy it and I can Mm. wake up without the hangover in the morning you know same with traveling like I traveling was huge drinking time for me it was like yeah I'm on holidays I can drink as much as I want and Mm. get on an international flight free booze awesome (laughs) (laughs) whereas now I can yeah like like I said I went to Europe with my mum last year and I went and visited cities that I'd been to like 20 years ago on a Kentucky tour and was wasted the whole time And I got to go and actually enjoy them and remember them and take it all in. And, you know, and look, I still have my bad days. I still have um, struggles with alcohol. I still have times when I get a bit wobbly and feel like I want to drink. And lucky I have the support of the program and the fellowship and friends like you to, to help me through that. So, you know, I still have my shit times. But I tell you what, one shit day in sobriety is a billion times better than my best days you know, yeah. when I, when a really good day when I was drinking. Absolutely. It's such an amazing transformation. And, you know, and you think, God, if, if it never got that bad, you may have never got to this point where you are now. Absolutely. It, like yeah. you asked me the other day if I have any regrets and I, I really don't. Like exactly like I said to you the other day, I'm actually really grateful that my drinking got as bad as it did in the end because if it didn't, I wouldn't be here. I'd still be limping along in that you know cycle of daily drinking you know often probably drinking too much but probably not so much that I felt like I had a problem it's just like oh yeah you know I had a bit too much to drink last night and um you know beating myself up over you know drinking too much again and just constantly feeling like you know when you drink and when you especially if you're drinking daily or nearly every day like you just constantly feel lethargic and tired and unmotivated and uninspired and not not you know there's no creativity or yeah like it just I would have just kept limping along in that for probably for the rest of my life instead of making you know some really big positive awesome changes in my life like I have yeah yeah that's so right it's I always say it that you've got to be so grateful for all these challenges because there's something there there's some learning there's some they're there to teach you and it sounds like you've just grown and you have grown so much as a result so much and it's just everything is better you know like everything is so much better sober like I just you know Mm. you were saying the other day on one of your other podcasts and I think we've even spoken about it as well about just having much more meaningful relationships with people you know Mm. like of course I surrounded myself all the time with people who drank a lot, but when we got together, we literally just got together and got drunk. Like Mm. who our group probably like us or, you know, the friends that I made in America, like any, anywhere I've always surrounded myself with people who drink a lot, but Mm. yeah, like how, how, you know, I know that we always think that we have a really big, deep and meaningful conversation when we're drunk and whatever. Yeah, but most of it's just dribble and you don't remember half of it. And, like, it's just, I yeah, I have much more meaningful relationships with people and I really enjoy, you know, just being present in people's lives. Like, I, mm. I really, I really um, 
take so much more time to spend time with my mom now or to spend, mm. you know, to spend time with my nan. And, you know, in the past, like, I, like it was a drag to have to go and see mum because she would always be on my case about drinking too much anyway. But it was just a cut into my drinking time, you know. It was like, oh, I'm going to go up to Castlemaine and go and visit mum. But, you know, like I can't really get too drunk and mm. blah, blah, blah. Or then trying to, you know, going to visit my nan who's in... Bridgewater would be like, oh, well, that's like, uh, you know, another <laughs> half a day or day out of my drinking time, you know, it's so yeah. far. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> and, and also, I wouldn't be able to do one of those trips without having to plan to, you know, how I was going to drink around that. But, you know, I just, I've really, I've spent a lot of time with my mum, you know, in the last year and a half, two years, you know, I've seen my, I don't, get, I still don't get to see my nan a lot, but I do see her and it's not a drag to have to go and see her. Like, I love it, you know, and I, and I even took my mum to church last year, which I'm not a religious person and church is not something that I'm interested in, but it's what she loves to do. And part of what I've learned in the program as well is about getting out of yourself and doing things mm. for other people, you know, like, I was so selfish when I was drunk, when I was drinking, like so selfish because everything had to revolve around me and how, how I was going to drink. Yeah. Wow. That's all I thought about. Yeah. And, and speaking of giving back to, I might just give you a little business a plug too. You've started this oh, awesome yes. biz- business yes. called Socketherapy and I'll put yep. the links, I'll put the links up on the, um, the sh- on the notes, on the show notes for awesome. the website. I love it. So that these beautiful bamboo socks and you're giving back to all these different amazing charities. I know myself with Earth Bottles and we give back and gives you this other purpose to your business. Yeah. It's fantastic what you're doing. And it's only yeah, new, isn't it? Is. It's only just started. I think I can see just some boxes started. there behind you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, so congratulations <laughs> on that. And Thank you. It's yeah. just another positive change. It's not, yeah, it's a really good positive change, but it's also something else that I just know probably would never have happened while I was still drinking. Like, firstly, I, you know, I may have thought about the idea, but I just wouldn't have, it would, would have always been, oh, yeah, gonna, gonna do that one day, or, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. But I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the time because most of my time was consumed with drinking. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's a that's a great thing when you when you sober. All of a sudden, you have so much free time. And oh my god, so much time! Crazy. It's really awesome. I've so I've created this business, but like um, you know, me and my partner have been doing some really cool um, pieces of artwork and. We did a really cool piece of artwork for my sister and her girlfriend. I, I saw know, it. It's gorgeous. It. Yeah, yeah, like just stuff like that again. Like I just wouldn't have done that because any spare time that I had as soon as work was over, well, I drank throughout work, but yeah, as soon as work was over, then that was drinking time. Absolutely. And just going back to what we were talking about before about the relationships with people and how when you're drinking you're thinking you're having these big dnms which are so fucking embarrassing the next day half the time <laughs> so embarrassing. oh like you're not saying some rubbish or you yeah know, like you know or saying something that you shouldn't or just rubbish it's just yep dribble i mean the heartfelt stuff is nice but it's it's so empty when it's just from alcohol anyway but now i don't have time for any fucking rubbish like with people yep. and i've <clears> never really be much of a small talker anyway you know me I have no time for that I just can't be bothered like you're either an authentic person and 
you know, we get down to it. But I know now too, like with my friends that are hanging out with me now, it's not because of how much I can drink or how much booze I'm going to bring around to their place or or whatever. It's so meaningful. I love my friends, you know, the the people that I'm surrounded with now. And I know they've got my back. Yeah. You know, you know that they genuinely love you. Yeah. You know, even if there's just one or even if there's, you know, one or two people like that. The ones that are still... I I don't know about you, but I just... I just am so much more interested as well. Like, yeah. you know, I, I love hearing about you and what you're doing and what Ash is doing. And, you know, I love, like, I'm just more interested and attentive and um, present with people, you know. It's mm. not just all about, oh, yeah, let's get drunk. I don't know. It's a, it's a definitely a different dynamic. Absolutely. Much more uh, present in people's lives. I was wondering about how you were saying that, you still have triggers, you still have hard days and that shocks me. How often are they and how, do, how are you dealing with them? Not very often, to be honest. The obsession to drink alcohol has been removed from me and that was removed some time ago. But yeah, I'm alcoholic, you know, like, and I remind myself every day that I'm alcoholic. You know, I, I get a, I pray every morning and every night, which is something I never thought I would ever say, but I do. But I do, you know, I have a, a connection with my high power and every morning, um, you know, one of the things that I say in my morning prayer is ask for, for help to keep me sober just for today. And um, that reminds me at the start of the day that, yeah, I am alcoholic. If I ever forget that, then I'm probably in trouble. Wow. Cravings don't, they don't happen very often. Um, you know, I can comfortably go to a bar with friends and, and sit and drink, you know, a soda water and be perfectly comfortable with that. That's not a problem. I can walk past the liquor store and not feel like I want to go in. But, yeah, like there are some times when I have Is that it out of the blue or is it? A- yeah, often. Sometimes it might be true. You know, sometimes like if something bad has happened or I get angry or something, you know, just uh, it's like a knee jerk. It's like a... Um, like a knee-jerk reaction. It's just mm. like that was always my auto-response. Sometimes it happens. It doesn't happen very often. I did have, I don't know, I would say probably like five or six months ago, there was a time where I can't remember what had happened, but, I, you know, some shit had happened and I just was feeling like, I don't know if I can swear, but I think I already have. Yeah, you can I was swear. Feeling, feeling like, fuck this, I'm just going to drink, you know, fucking Oh, whatever. wow, really? And I went to, it's funny because I went to, um, I went into a supermarket and there was a Dan Murphy's next to the supermarket and I, I looked at it and I thought about going in. I don't think I actually would have, but I thought about going in I went and I thought I'll just go into the supermarket first, like just try and delay. And um, that's one, one tactic that I use is just try and do something else in the meantime, either call someone from the fellowship, call a friend, call, you know, whatever, like do something to delay the the at the doing yeah um so I went into the supermarket first and when I was in the supermarket I saw another member who is in the fellowship with me and he's um, oh. um he's been sober for quite some time and Did it's funny like him? we no I didn't I actually didn't even talk to him he was with somebody else and um we just kind of looked at each other and said hi but I kind of just felt like that was a real that was my higher power like just putting him in front of me to remind me that you know because he's got some really good awesome stories about you know, how he's turned his life around in sobriety and how much happier he is now and and that's what we get out of the fellowship. But, you know, like I just felt like that was my higher power made that happen. He put that person right in front of me to remind me that, 
you know, I'm sober, you know, I want to, you know, I want to be sober. And I don't do it with not just don't go wow. into that damn movie. Did you ever tell him? I didn't tell him. I actually haven't had a chance to see him specifically at a meeting since then. I have mentioned it in a chair in one of the other meetings that it was just, yeah, like I feel like that was meant to happen. He was meant to be in front of me in that supermarket. Just yeah. Wow. Remind me. That's definitely coming from somewhere else, divine intervention. So what exactly. I find interesting too, because I know that you're um, full on like atheist, I would say, well, that's, yeah. um, how do you consolidate that with it? Because it's quite Godish, isn't it? The, the AA thing. It's yeah, quite... Alcoholics Anonymous is a spiritual program, but it's not a religious program. So, um, you know, unlike organised religion, we're not, you're not told to believe that God is a certain thing and looks a certain way and you have to, you know, it's a, it's a God. We still use the term God because it's sort of a more widely understood term than talking about a higher power. I, know, I choose to use the, the term higher power, but a lot of people say God. But it's a high power of your own understanding, you know. It's a god of your own understanding. It's like, and it, yeah. to me, I feel like it's like I've always said that I feel like the universe works in certain ways, or you know. And to yeah. me, that's what I think my high power is. It's the universe talking. So it's not for me. It's not a a god that, yeah, like I said, in organized religion where it looks a certain way, and it, you know, yeah. you have to believe in a certain thing. It's just yeah. it's whatever you want to believe in. It's just that it's. It's just believing in a power greater than yourself, really. I wish that they would um, give it another name. Like I call it Source, usually, or you could call it Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Bob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd just love to have a chat with Bob. Yeah. And uh, we should do that. I've actually can... <laughs> I've thought about that often, trying to give my higher power a name. I just haven't really come up with a name. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's whatever you want it to be, and it's just believing that there is a power greater than you in this world. And, uh, and if anything, you know, like just being in the fellowship, like that's a power greater than me that helps me to stay sober as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we shouldn't call it Bob. We should give it a female name or a uh, non-gender. Or an androgynous name, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> the, it's too close to Ash and you probably would really like that if I refer to him as God. <laughs> So that's that's really awesome, babe. It's just so amazing. It's so inspiring. Our whole thing is was being like me and Ash and, and Scott and Claire, our club sober was more just binge drinking. Yeah. But I often wonder how far away we were from being to where you got. And I mean, do you hear a lot of that in AA or not? People were binge drinking and then, you know, it got progressively worse. Yeah, absolutely. And in the program, you also get a lot of people who don't necessarily drink every day or don't drink, oh, wow. um, don't drink in the morning, like, I, you know, from the minute they wake up, like I did. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's more about understanding that, um, or it's more about recognising that once you take that first drink, then you can't control how much you drink and you can't control your behaviour after that. Which oh that was me. <laughs> <laughs> to just to sort of sidestep a little bit, and uh, and hopefully this is helpful for anybody who's listening. But uh, understanding that it's that first drink, taking that first drink is where your problem is. Like that was that for me was a really big um, a really big thing to learn in sobriety because I spent so many years, you know, like 
beating myself up over why can't I just have a couple of drinks or why can't I just control my drinking or why can't I get my drinking back to normal, even though, as you pointed out, it probably never was. But, (laughs) you know, I spent so many years beating myself and beating myself and on this, you know, merry-go-round of like trying to, you know, do, trying to, trying all these different things that didn't work. And, and what I've learned is that it's, it, I can't, it's the first drink that is the problem. Like I'm not drunk before I pick up that first drink, Mm. but it's the first drink for me sets off a craving inside me that makes me want more and want more. Mm-hmm. And if I have one drink, I'm going to, you know, one drink's not enough and a hundred's too many. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. the other way around. One drink's too many and a hundred's not enough. You know, it's not like I can't control how much I'm going to drink once I have that first drink. Like yeah. that, that, that was a really important thing for me to learn because I had to learn that I just can't have that first drink. Yeah. And, and that's what I have to practice every day. Just don't pick up that first drink today. <laughs> Yeah, which is like that seems extreme. But I think too, like like I was saying, you don't have to be drinking every day to have a problem with it. As soon as it's controlling you a bit or changing your personality, I mean, there's lots of different versions or, you know, what people quantify as having a problem. Yeah, so there's different levels of it. Definitely there is. But if you've, yeah, if you're finding that you can't control your behaviour, once you start drinking as well, then that's that's normally a problem too. So well, that's, and that's, that's the other thing, you know, like I spent so many years just drinking life away. Like I didn't, I didn't live life, you know, and now mm. I've just, there's so much to be grateful for and so, and so much to enjoy, you yeah. know? Yeah, there is. So much to do, so much to see and so much to live for. It's awesome. Absolutely. And then the challenges as well that can be triggers too, you know, like rather than, than, null, than numbing them, rather than hiding, you know, behind alcohol or going, I can't cope with this, I'm going to drink. I think um, there's something really beautiful in sitting in it and, yeah, absolutely. and being present in it. Um, absolutely. It deals with it too because if you are going to numb numb yourself with alcohol, that shit's not going anywhere. Like it's just no. going to come and bite you in the ass eventually in some way or you'll just end up drinking more and more and more and more and more because it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and you need to mask it, mask it, mask it. There's something, I just, nothing really flusters me too much now because when a problem comes and they do like, fuck, you know, problems come all the time, big problems, tragedies. Like my, um, last year finding out my dad had lung cancer. Mm. That was huge. But I thought, you know what? And I did, I did think for a bit there, you know, fuck this. I just want to drink. You know, I don't want to think about this. It's too hard. And then I thought, no, I'm going to just sit in this and, and be really present with it. And, and it was, you know what, his cancer journey, which he's going really well, ended up being the most beautiful experience for, um, for all of us. And it was awesome. And I would have missed that and not being able to even help dad if I was, you know, drinking my way through that at the end of it, well, you know, what, what would I have got from that? You know, nothing. Exactly. I got so much, I don't know. It was so fulfilling that whole experience. It's something really great in just getting the challenges and just sitting in them. And absolutely. And I don't find that I get so overwhelmed with Mm. challenges anymore. You know, it used to be just like something had happened. It'd be like, Oh God, like it'd be a massive catastrophe, you know? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. 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 And I just, I didn't know. I didn't, I felt like I didn't have the smarts to be able to deal with a lot of stuff. Whereas now I'm like, yeah, okay. You know what? 
it's like, you know what, it just it is what it is and we just work through it. And mm. yeah, I don't get overwhelmed with problems and with challenges like I used to. I just feel like I've I've got the tools to be able to handle it. And, and I and I think a lot of that comes with just acceptance as well and just accepting that it is what it is. You know, I can get as angry as I like about something not going my way, but it's not going to change anything. And I can I can get angry about something not going my way and think, fuck it, I'll have a drink. But you know what? I'm going to have a drink and the problem's still going to be there when I sober up. It's not going to yeah. help. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's almost like yeah. I welcome the challenges now. Like, you bring that yeah. shit on because... I'm really good at dealing with this stuff, you know. Absolutely. I enjoy it. Is that sick? I don't know. <laughs> no, I 100% know what you're saying. I feel like I'm much more equipped to be able to deal with life. So 16-year-old us, you know, like there's us at 16 years old and, you know, wastoided all the time thinking we are killing it. Yeah, Dig you it. were so cool. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sort of asking everyone this in the podcast. If you could sit with with sixteen year old Linda, what what would you tell her? Yeah, that's really hard because um, I heard you ask Claire that question as well, and it's difficult because I don't know that I really would want to change anything. Like I said before, I, I mm. don't regret anything, and I really make sure that I, you know, that I don't feel regretful for anything that I've done. There's certain things that certainly I'm not proud of. I wouldn't want to change the course of my um, my journey. Yeah, because I'm really grateful for my journey. So if anything, I'd probably, I would sit with her and I would just tell her that I would love her and, and just be grateful for everything she's got. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, my darling, I love you. I'm so proud of you and you're super brave. Can I just say, um, I just wanted to add as well for anybody who's listening that I, you know, I love what you got, what you're doing. I love what you and Ash have done and I really 100% support um, the 12 month thing. Like if anybody is seriously considering either giving up drinking or, and or taking a break, I definitely say absolute minimum of 12 months, like Mm. three months is not going to cut it. Anything, you know, it's not going to, you really need to give yourself a really good chance to experience sobriety Mm. and experience it for everything that it's got. I think you would find that you won't really want to go back after that amount of time. Like you said, you know, you've put in all that hard work and you've come so far. The fog's lifted in there and you've been able to make some changes and make some really good progress in that time, like anything shorter and you're not really giving yourself a chance. But um, for anyone who wants to do it, five months is nothing in your life, really. Mm. You know what? And if you, and if anyone's, especially, you know, if you're starting to feel a bit miserable about yourself and feeling like you're beating yourself up over your drinking problem, take five months off. You know, it'll go pretty quickly. Mm. And if you decide to go back to drinking, then your misery is going to be sitting sitting there ready and waiting mm. for you. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> Just give it a go. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Great advice. But I love you. I love you. Got what you guys are doing. I think Thank you. Really awesome. Um, yeah, me too. Stoked to be a part of it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome, darling. All right. And um, as I said, I'll put up some links about Socanthropy. What is Ooh. this? www. Okay. Bye. Bye.